There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Colin and today, Paige Hilton. Paige, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is the first time you've been on, which is great. For those that are listening, Paige is the one behind the scenes who actually does all the work on this podcast. So it's really great to have her join this show. Paige is also an advisor on our team and manages relationships and money for people that deal with the CM group. And Paige, you've been listening to this show for 95 episodes now. I have every single one. Yep. You listen to it in advance. You edit it. You send it out through social media. So this is not something new to you. Not new, but a little more live than what I'm used to. (laughs) You don't usually walk around with a microphone in your face? No, not usually. No. Well, you're going to do great. I know you are. Thank you. And joining us again today is Sam. Sam from Lindsay McCarthy. Sam, it's really great to have you back for episode two do you notice I didn't say your last name? Yes, I did notice Because I, I always mess it up. No, no, that's okay. I want to say Kajay. Kajay is really oh, good. No, that's really good. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. We're there. I've been practicing like for a week. Good. But Sam has been kind enough to join us again to add some more clarity to our discussion we started last week about franchising. What is it? Why do people do it? What's the point? And talk about his experience with that. So, Paige, I'm going to pass it over to you for a second. Yeah, Sam, thanks for coming back on the show. I really enjoyed your episode last week. I was just hoping that maybe we could go back and review some of the more basic details that we didn't quite get time to get into before. I think, Paige, that's an awesome idea. So reflecting on the last discussion we had, I think they were great. We had a discussion about frequently asked questions that I receive as a lawyer relating to franchising, but I had reflected on it and thought that maybe it'd be best if we take a step back and we just describe high level what we're talking about in general when we're referring to a franchise, distinguishing franchise from licensing, which some of your audience members may have seen before. And then talking in a little more detail about what that franchise disclosure document and franchise agreement is, given how important it is in the legal construct to a franchise in general. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I know that's one of the points Paige brought up. She said, what is that FDD? It just sounds really boring. (laughs) Yes. I did say that. (laughs) I think it is really boring. (laughs) Sorry. Maybe you can make it more interesting for us. I'll try. So, okay. So what's a franchise, right? So. The best way to describe a franchise is it's a legal arrangement where two parties, one party being the franchisor, licenses a system, a proprietary system for the operation of its businesses to another party being the franchisee. And in connection with that licensing arrangement, it informs the franchisee on how to operate that system in connection with the brand of that franchisor. So it's a unique structure in the commercial world where those elements exist. And then typically what we'd have is a franchise fee 
that's payable by the franchisee on day one to actually come in and have access to the system and brand. And typically there would be royalties that would be ongoing as well, which we briefly touched on on the last podcast. And one thing I wanted to just touch on is what I alluded to earlier. So there's this concept of licensing versus franchising. And often what happens if you're a franchisor, you ideally want to structure your relationship so that it's a license and not a franchise. And the reason they prefer to do that is because in Alberta, for example, there's franchise legislation, but there's no specific licensing regulations and laws. So when you have a franchise, you're exposed to significant legal requirements and costs as a result. And so a franchisor often want to say, well, no, I don't have a franchise here. I'm just licensing you this business and idea. So is that just to mitigate risk for the franchisee? It's to avoid perceived unnecessary costs and expenses for the franchisor. They will try to license rather than franchise because if they franchise, they have to comply with all the laws relating to franchising, which can be onerous for the franchisor. Now, what are these laws? These laws are set up to help the franchisee make an informed decision. And the idea was before these law came in place, the policy rationale was, well, these franchisees are coming into place, they're paying initial fees, they're paying royalties, but they're not really sure what they're getting themselves into. And so we need some laws to protect the so-called power imbalance between the franchisor who really understands its own business and the franchisees who have no idea what they're getting themselves into unless, according to the policy rationale, there's laws to protect them and make sure that they're informed properly. And that's what created this concept of this franchise disclosure document, which is supposed to give these franchisees informed disclosure about what they're getting themselves into. So that's the boring one that you were talking about, Paige. It's similar, though. I mean, we do have our own disclosure documents yes. that we deal with here, so I understand the yeah. principle. Yeah, exactly. And they're written in a way that nobody really understands them. Well, they're boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so this concept of licensing franchising. So I'm going to put you guys to sleep for 30 seconds and then hopefully bring you out of that coma. In Alberta's law, the Act says, the Franchises Act says, that a franchise is the following thing. It's a right to engage in a business where goods or services are sold under a business plan that's prescribed substantially by the other party, the franchisor. So number one, we need to have a system where a big part of it is this control from the franchisor over to the franchisee saying, this is how you operate the business. The second element is that The franchisor also says, not only are you going to follow our system and our protocols, but you're also going to do it in connection with our brand. So as you go ahead and start doing your business, it's actually going to be in connection with our brand. You will never independently do it with your own brand. It'll always be our brand. So they're really your guidelines that you have to follow. Yes, exactly. I don't even think they're guidelines. It's like, this is just the way it is. This is what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the protocol part. And then like going back to McDonald's from our last podcast, not only are these the protocols that you must follow, but you're always calling yourself McDonald's, not McDowell's. That's a reference to our (laughs) earlier podcast. (laughs) Tell me you watched that show. (laughs) I didn't yet. Oh, okay, 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 okay. And then the last element that you need to satisfy to actually have a franchise in place is there has to be an initial franchise fee that you're paying and or ongoing royalties and things of that nature. So really what we're trying to say, though, for your audience members is whenever you're thinking about entering into an arrangement and you don't get a franchise disclosure document, the first question should be, well, am I actually getting a franchise or is it something else? And if it 
actually is a franchise based on this test that we were just discussing, then you should be getting a franchise disclosure document. So then you should be asking for it because that document has a lot of stuff in it that you really want to know before you jump into that arrangement. Yeah, it's like a prenup. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what happens if you don't get that document and maybe you should have? Great question. So the consequences of that, first thing is that you need to look at whether you got something but it wasn't delivered in the right form. Okay, so there's, let's call it three different ways, three different ways that this question can kind of play out. So the first is, there's a timeline. So the law says the FDD, that thing that you have to get, (laughs) that document, must be delivered to you at least 14 days before you sign any franchise agreement or before you pay any non-refundable fee for the franchise. So the first question is, what if it was given to you, but it wasn't given to you 14? Let's say it was given to you right before you pay and you sign. Well, then the law gives you certain rights of rescission, which really a fancy word means you get to cancel your franchise agreement and go back as though you never entered into that franchise agreement in the first place. And you're entitled to a refund. I just call it a refund just to make it easy in terms of the fees that you've paid if you've lost anything in that process. So that's first thing. But if you made money, you don't give it up. Yeah, the law states that it's in respect of your net losses. The law isn't looking to provide you a windfall in addition to the money you would have made. The idea here, the policy rationale again, is that you didn't get proper documentation. You weren't informed in the process. As a result of that, you lost something. If you're someone who didn't get the stuff that you needed to get and yet was still able to manage the process and was able to make good on it, then the law, at least in this policy rationale, is not considering that as something that you should be claiming for. The first concept is you were delivered something, but it wasn't within the timelines. Your actual question was, what if you were never delivered anything? No documents. Yeah, you got nothing. And maybe sometimes that happens because the franchisor doesn't actually think it's a franchisor it thinks it's a licensor or it thinks it's doing some other business arrangement, but it hasn't sat there and gone through the test that we were talking about to determine that it actually is a franchisor and it is franchising. So often when that happens, the franchisor doesn't deliver any document because it doesn't even realize that it is a franchisor and it is franchising. In that scenario, you have a two-year period of refund. So for two years, your net losses are refundable to you as long as you make that claim within that two-year period. Now, I should say, this is the caveat here, is obviously there's some procedural things and there's some things that you have to satisfy in order to be entitled to this right of rescission. All of these types of things, if your audience members are listening and thinking about this because it applies to them, should be consulted with their legal advisors to actually understand how it applies and how they ought to go about making that type of claim. That's great, but it doesn't answer the big question. Why the heck do people invest in franchises? Like we get the, okay, there's some legal things they can do if they didn't get the right documents, but why do they even enter these agreements? We can think about it more from a commercial angle. Ignoring the legal stuff aside, so why, and let's just take an example of McDonald's again. McDonald's is a food service business. So the question for your listeners is, why would they prefer to take on a McDonald's specifically rather than just starting their own food service business that offers hamburgers and a drive through window and fries and would you like a shake with that? So if they do that, the question is, well, what are they disadvantaged by? There's a few reasons why people prefer to take on a franchise in light of that. The first is you're associated with a brand that's very 
immediately recognizable. So if I go up on McLeod Trail and I set up Sam's Shack of Shakes, let's say, and I've obviously ready to Sam's do that. Sam's Shake Shack. Shake yes, shack. I like that. <laughs> so other than you two, no one else would come to my business. I would. You I would. would. <laughs> yeah. So I've got one customer. So no one knows what Sam's Shake Shack. Yeah. No one knows what I serve. No one knows if it's any good. So no one knows about it. So it'll take a long period of time for me to establish myself. If I set up the same McDonald's on the same location, chances are I'll instantly be recognized and I'll have a stream of clients because they're aware of what I'm providing. And this is going back to this idea that a franchise is a consistent offering of a system. So that when a client or a customer of a franchise goes into a McDonald's, they know exactly what they're going to be getting because there's a system and there's a protocol that every franchisee must follow. I got a great example of this. I was in Europe years ago, I don't know, six, seven years ago, and we were there for three, four weeks. And the part of Europe we were in, there were no Starbucks. I'm a big Starbucks person. And we got to Athens, and after not having any Starbucks for three to four weeks, I realized there's Starbucks in Athens. There is. And I found it on my app. And I made my family go to Starbucks with me because I knew exactly what I was going to get. And I got the exact same drink and food as what I would have got in Calgary or Los Angeles or wherever. So you seek out the Starbucks. Oh yeah, for sure. Because you don't feel confident that the one off chain coffee shop will be able to provide you the same experience or... It was all, well, yeah, because it was like weeks and weeks of like a different version of what I was used to. You get a Americano in Rome, for example. It's just not the same thing. Not saying one's right or wrong, but I just prefer my Starbucks. Just didn't have that Starbucks taste to it. Or the size. Or the experience. The the right cup or like the smell. You're a creature of habit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's the point. Humans are a creature of habit. Yeah. That's the first main advantage of taking on a franchise is you get instantly access to that goodwill. Instant uh, brand brand. recognition. Exactly. Another reason why franchisees like this idea is that they have access to a tried and tested system. So if I set up my Shake Shack, I have no idea if people like chocolate shakes versus vanilla shakes versus whatever other flavors I want to introduce. Whereas Starbucks or whoever that has a competing business can actually tell me, look, we've for the last 30 years, we've been running this business. We can tell you exactly what the market data shows and we can tell you how much to stock of what inventory and how to go that way. That's invaluable. That's experience that you don't acquire unless you take on a franchise. So that's significant as well. It basically, the things that they made errors on, those errors do not have to be repeated by virtue of you being a franchisee. And the whole idea there is that, again, you're buying into a system and that system includes their experience acquired to date. Do you remember the error McDonald's made? This is dating me, but back in high school. I remember a McRib offering. Is that the error you're Oh, the McRib's delicious. <laughs> but no, it was pizza. They yes. offered pizza. I love the pizza. Yeah, but it went away, right? Yes, so it, did. it obviously didn't meet their test yeah, somehow. Yeah, that's a great comment. Yeah, like I don't know why the pizza didn't make it, but maybe the cost to produce it compared to the amount that people were buying was not worthwhile, but absolutely they brought an offering in and for whatever reason, it didn't make the cut. The McRib, which were so oh, fondly- <laughs> Paige, have you ever had a McRib? I have never eaten a McRib in my life. You're so lucky. But don't. I did have a pizza party at McDonald's <laughs> okay. when I was four years old. So. Oh geez, I don't want to hear when you're four. That makes me sound really old. Okay, go on with the McRib though. Well, no, I, I don't have anything else yeah, to say about the McRib. <laughs> okay, let's carry on then. Yeah. Let's carry on. <laughs> 
We're talking about why you'd like to get into a franchise in the first place. We've talked about brand recognition. We've talked about buying into a system. Another really obvious reason is that the franchisor will expend its own resources to market for you and advertise. So every time I turn on the television, there's a McDonald's commercial. Now, if I set up Sam's Shake Shack on McLeod Trail, I don't even know if I can afford to set up a TV commercial that day to show you guys how amazing my products are. It'll take me a long time of buying and selling my products to be able to make the money to be able to put a commercial on the TV. Whereas when you take on a McDonald's, all of a sudden, again, you've got instant commercials advertising your products and again, ongoing and the power of like brand recognition association with that. Those are three significant advantages. Of course, there's disadvantages to everything like this. So some of the disadvantages include the costs of you have to pay them an initial fee. There's ongoing royalties. If you set up your own business, you wouldn't be subject to ongoing royalties to a third party. These significant operational controls, in some, it's like a double-edged sword. In some ways, it's good to be subject to operational controls because then you screw up less, let's just say. But on the flip side, like we talked about last podcast, if you have a creative mind and have a good way of doing something that's outside of the system, there's a possibility that you wouldn't be able to implement it. You can't be the one McDonald's that bring back the pizza. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. be, if your offering of pizza, for example, in Calgary, for some reason, everyone's crazy about McDonald pizzas and you're able to sell way better than everyone else in the other McDonald's territories, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'd be permitted to sell McDonald pizzas. Yeah, you still get the loss of privilege like everyone else. Yeah, you'd be subject to the controls, exactly. There's an interesting thing happening in Russia right now in regards to McDonald's. Now, Paige, I should mention that we're not promoting McDonald's stock, by the way. We have to mention that. But I was reading about how in Moscow, because McDonald's pulled out of Russia, that they are selling McDonald's hamburgers, whoever is still operating it, at a premium. That's interesting. Yeah, so people are paying more than they normally would for the same product. I guess they probably have a limited supply that they can sell till. Sorry, so and I'm not aware of this, but does that mean, so... McDonald's, the franchisor, has pulled its brand out of Russia, but there are existing McDonald's franchisees still in Russia. I believe right? so. I might be wrong on this. Yeah. It was just an article I read. Yeah. I can't quote it. I can't even tell you who it was, but it was just that they were continuing to sell products. Yeah. I guess they'd have limited supply of products. Right, because McDonald's supplies them their inventory. They've probably got an inventory that they want to burn through. The fact that they can sell them at a premium is interesting. So maybe what they have is customers who are desperate for that McDonald's experience. I think so. Probably. And, you know, they know that there's a limited period of time that they're going to be able to have that, yeah. especially if McDonald's opts in the circumstances not to come back to that territory. So then it's like your experience with Starbucks. That's really interesting, actually. But so then the question becomes, so referring back to those operational controls, does McDonald's, the franchisor, have a say in what these franchisees in Russia are doing? And have they commented on it? Have they authorized it? Potentially, some of these people are just going rogue given the yeah. circumstances of what's happening over there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I was going to ask, does anyone really have a say in Russia? One guy. One. One guy has a say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we'll, we won't spend any time on that. What else do you got for us, Paige? You got a questions for Sam that you figured out there? No, I think it's been a really interesting discussion, Sam. I think you've definitely related it in a way to me that I can understand. Do you have any final points you think are important for people? 
I think going back to the first podcast, it's really important that someone interested in taking on a franchise obviously do their diligence in the process. This has been just high-level discussion about some things that are applicable, but when you start diving into that franchise disclosure document in specific and the franchise agreement, some things will jump out at you. And so it's just really important to do your diligence and have the right people helping you in that process. As we mentioned last time, of course, we're promoting you and your company in this work. I hope to someday have a franchise to sell the free lunch podcast franchise. We're going to yes. franchise this out. We'll collect royalties for the rest of our lives. <laughs> like <laughs> but uh, was there anything like any other major topics that like, I know you've been helpful in providing a real list of things that you're able to talk about. And we are going to continue to have you back. I hate to say this, Sam, but we do hoard our resources. Right. <laughs> but what is, I guess, the number one thing somebody going into a franchise right now or thinking about it should actually consider? Obviously, the thing that has been top of mind for everyone in the last two years has been COVID and the impacts of COVID on these types of businesses. So, certain of the franchises being offered have been, like usually you'll see franchise offerings in the hospitality space or the gym industry and like entertainment type of industries. And these are the industries that have also been subject to, they've been hit pretty hard by virtue of what COVID's done. And so one thing that has been really interesting is seeing how someone's appetite to take on a franchise has been impacted due to COVID. Like in a services business. For example, and I mean, there might be other businesses that have been propped up due to COVID, but it's important to actually think about that in the context of what you're getting yourself into. I mean, I'm hearing renewed news about COVID in China now and things like that. So unfortunately, and I hate to be the person who talks about COVID because I feel like we've all heard enough about it, but it is something that's relevant and goes part and parcel with this concept of diligence. So if this system of business is one that's impacted by COVID or something similar to that, that you think might have a wide ranging impact on your ability to do business, that's really significant. You should be thinking about that in the context of taking that type of investment on. Perhaps in the context, there's something better that for the time being is a better investment, I guess. To me, price is dictated by supply and demand. And we talked with that a little bit actually last week, I think. So if you have a COVID reality and you've got a services business that is, I don't even know, but something that's hands-on, human-to-human interaction, has it adjusted the price of some of those franchises? There's two considerations here. One is you're an existing franchisee. So you're already a franchisee. One of your listeners is already a franchisee and they've been hit by COVID and they've had to adjust their business as a result of the impact of COVID. What I've seen in that situation is that there'll be a full discussion between franchisee and franchisor. Franchisors are aware of what's happening as well. And so, for example, going back to this concept of operational control, there's been a accommodation by franchisors, at least from what I've seen, to help franchisees out because it's not in the interest of the franchisor to see the franchisee's business fail, especially for something outside of their control like COVID. Often, for example, a franchisor will talk to the franchisee about the royalties that they have to pay. Similarly, landlords of franchisees will talk to them about lease payments that they have to pay. So if your lease payment is X and it's predicated on revenues of Y and your revenues all of a sudden are not there, then 
a landlord would be inclined to try to give you a break so that you can help you out. And again, it's not in the interest of the landlord either to see their tenant get kicked out. So that's in the context of an existing franchisee. Now, for those who are considering the franchise as a new investment, then the previous comment applies, which is think about the context of what you're getting yourself into. See if there's been any accommodations by the franchisor as it relates to things like COVID. So ask the question of the franchisor, what if COVID has a longstanding effect on this business? What do you do in the circumstances? Have you offered any kind of like royalty breaks? Does the language in the franchise agreement apply in respect of, so for example, does the royalties apply to your revenues or is it just a flat fee that's divorced from your revenues? If it has no bearing on your revenues, then that's difficult because if you're supposed to pay a flat fee and yet you have no revenue, how can you pay that? So those are good questions to ask your franchisor as well as, in summary, what is the type of things that you've supported franchisees with in light of COVID? Paige, I ran into an owner of a franchise a year ago in a building next to us that runs a food services business. I said, how are things? He said, well, my revenue is down 98%, but I'm still here. So that was a real reality because he still had franchise royalties and lease payments and yeah, like staff well, not, payments. Not only that, but, and this is going back to this concept of operational controls. So if your franchise agreement has no flexibility and states, for example, that you're required to maintain a minimum inventory of X. And it doesn't say that in the circumstances of COVID, if you're not selling that inventory, you don't have to maintain that minimum amount. Well, you're still subject to that agreement. And so he maybe would be subject to that requirement to continue buying inventory, even if he's not selling that same inventory. And so this is going back to this concept of being certain that you know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, it's a legitimate long-term commitment from a contractual perspective. And so it needs to be given serious thought. Sounds like it's really important to do your due diligence on yes. this or maybe talk to someone like you to do yeah. it for them. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paige, are you promoting them? I think I am. Yeah, am I are, allowed yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> We've already established that. That's the <laughs> We should probably wrap it up there, let you get back to making money instead of spending time on our show because we're not paying you for this, right? But we definitely appreciate you coming back for a second episode. I'm going to give you a standing ovation right now. I can't hear that, but was that standing ovation or the- It's impressive. It's a standing ovation. Oh, it was impressive. (laughs) Thank you, guys. It was really good. And Paige, thanks for coming on the show yourself. Thank you. uh, Nice to have you here. I really enjoy speaking to you much more than speaking to Greg. So really enjoy you being here. Fair enough. Maybe I'll come on again in the future. Yes, please do. Now on that note, Greg's back next week. Um, (laughs) Next week, Greg and I are going to talk about business cycles in Canada. And we are going to talk about this thing about the price of oil being impacted in recent events. So anyways, thanks again, Sam. Thanks, Paige. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast.
The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kreminski are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.